Jesus returned to Deuteronomy and we're going on to chapter 20 in a moment. You know, we've had a, a pretty horrific week around the world. Various things happening, especially all this uh, trouble in India, in Mumbai, or Bombay as we used to call it. And I just had a, an email in from Dave Hunt's uh, site and he was saying that in Arissa the going rate for to kill a pastor is $250 amongst these extreme Hindus. And it obviously looks fairly clear that the bomb attacks in the Taj and in Mumbai were extreme Muslims. So persecution is hotting up, there's no doubt about it. You know, I suppose the question's asked, uh, what can the individual do about stopping the world crisis? You know, we have all this trouble in the financial world, we have it in the political world, we have it in the military world. Uh, everything is pointing towards, obviously, a one-world government and a one-world church. And we keep harping on about this, perhaps. But what can we do to stop it? Well, I, we can't do anything to stop it. I was looking at some comments and it says, We must, with utter abandon, uh, we must trust the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loves us and died for us, to give our lives totally to him. We cannot stop the takeover of the new age, new world order, not by political means, by storing guns in, in the shed. That's what a lot of Americans uh, are doing because they have the wrong uh, ideas about uh, the end times. They think they'll go through the tribulation. By printing newspapers? No. By drumming up support for your cause? By writing letters to political parties? By screaming for help? Or by jumping badly up and down? He says, nothing will make any difference because it's all part of a satanic development which God has foretold in Scripture. And the, the co-chairman of the Commission on Global Governance, and this was a, a, a body which was a, the United Nations support financially and in every other way, and he says we have ceased to be the world of nation-states that we once were. I don't believe that the world is going to retreat into a situation where people are going to run away from this global neighborhood we've become. Because there are no sanctuaries left. There's no place to run. What he's saying there is quite true. It has become a global Situation. Our world is now a global organization with, and all leading towards global government. And this chap says, why am I writing here a give up ideology, a defeatist manifesto? Is that what it is? He says, not at all. Thank God he has already met our needs in this earth crisis. And he explains it. It is so important that we trust God, for he is worthy of our trust. Remember, this new world order is a supernatural event being played out in a physical material world. 
we have never seen anything like this in our lifetimes, nor has any generation before us been involved in a situation like this one. The bottom line is that a battle royal is taking place which we humans cannot affect in any way. That event is Satan making his big rebellious play against the Almighty, setting himself up as ruler of the earth and it's God. God has told us this would eventually take place. The book of Daniel and the book of Revelation prophetically reveals all. Satan is trying to set him up against himself up against God. And he says, just as God cared for Noah, Enoch and Lot in times of apocalypse, so he will also care for those who have accepted Christ Jesus as their personal saviour. Fear not. The one who loved you enough to die on the cross for you is perfectly able to direct you and your loved ones to take you to himself when the appointed time arrives and in the interim to keep you safe in his protection Jesus Christ is ever with you through the Holy Spirit Christ is your great shepherd and goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life and I thought that was quite nice and you know I, 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 I go on a little bit too about the emergent church and here's something that a man called Rob Bell, who's one of the uh, main people within the emergent church organizations, it's very hard to, to pin who is in, in it and who isn't, because there's no sort of central body. But he it says here, not content to simply take the Bible at face value, which was good enough for men powerful in Christ, such as Spurgeon and others. Recently, Bell instructed his church that we need to also venture into the murky mystical waters of the truly enlightened ones with their esoteric, self-validating alleged experiences of the sacred through their transcendental meditation. And here's what he says. It's interesting how many traditions, when you read the great enlightened ones, Meditation, centering prayer, reflection. In every tradition you will find the mystics. And what's always at the heart of their spiritual lives, the everyday lives of the great ones, was always a period of time, whether it's prayers, chanting, meditation, reflection, study, whatever you call it, what is it essentially? It's taking time to breathe. Because when you're breathing in a proper sort of way, you're far better equipped to handle what life throws your way. And that's very dangerous teaching. And this guy, Bell, it says, if you'd like a synopsis of the gospel of social concern advanced by already saved humanity in many traditions... And he's talking here about interspirituality. Currently being taught to the youth in evangelical youth groups. That's it. And he is involved, of course, with Saddleback. And Saddleback church pastors are using 
Bell's techniques and his teachings. And this other man, Brian McLaren, he's one of the great enlightened ones of the emergent church. Here's what he says. Jesus came to become the saviour of the world, meaning he came to save the earth and all it contains from its ongoing destruction because of human evil. Through his life and teaching, through his suffering, death and resurrection, he inserted into human history a seed of grace, truth and hope that can never be defeated. This seed will, against all opposition and odds, listen to this, prevail over the evil and the injustice of humanity and lead to the world's ongoing transformation into a world God dreams of. All who find in Jesus God's hope and truth discover the privilege of participating in his ongoing work of personal and global transformation and liberation from evil and injustice. As part of his transforming community, they experience liberation from the fear of death and condemnation. This is not something they can earn or achieve, but rather a free gift they receive as, expression, as an expression of God's grace and love. What he's saying here is that Jesus died to transform the earth, prevail over the evil and injustice of humanity and lead to the world's ongoing transformation into the world God dreams of. Jesus came to save the lost. He is gathering out for himself a people. He didn't come to transform the world. And this is this global transformation, this ecological thing, which is now taking hold within Christian churches. And this person says, above is a crystal clear example of another very common methodology used in the kingdom of the cults. Take familiar terminology that we know of in the scriptures and then get it out of its context, out of its original definitions and then put new meaning into it. And right now this emergent cult of post-liberalism is following precisely the same methodology to take over your churches as did their forebears in the original cult of liberal theology as they captured mainstream denominations. That's the way liberal teaching came into the mainstream denominations. That extract from McLaren is from his book Everything Must Change, pages 79 and 80. So things are, are, are happening around us. Make sure we are our truths are founded solely upon the word of God. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20 and we read just a few verses. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies and seest horses and chariots and the people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. 
Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Now I had intended to go on a bit further, but I think we'll stop there just for the moment. And if we get through those four verses, we'll have done reasonably well. You know, in chapter 19, we saw the introduction of some civil laws. For when the nation took possession of the promised land, when they were going to the promised land, they were to do certain things. And we, we had the introduction of the cities of refuge. We had the law relating to landmarks and boundaries. How they were to behave towards each other. And then we had a repetition of the need for two or three witnesses uh, in any given situation when a trial was taking place. We had the law, uh, the end of the chapter, the law relating to false witnesses and perjury. And now we come to a new heading, the law of conquest, how to wage war. And these first four verses, it's about preparing for battle. Preparing for battle. And the next uh, four or five verses is certain types of, of people who would be exempt from immediate uh, military service. But first we look at these first four verses. I suppose the first thing we remember uh, as we look at the Old Testament is the fact that these laws were under the Old Covenant under the terms of that dispensation, the dispensation of the law. We must always bear that in mind. You know, the law, as we have learned, as we have gone through Deuteronomy, has ceased. It has been done away with. And we now live in the age of grace. We will hopefully learn some important lessons from this passage in relation to how we live in the world today. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. How well God knew the heart of man. They would look at the enemy, take their eyes of faith off him, despite what God had done for them, and they would become weak and fearful. So here were the words of God, so reassuring. Do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Oh, it wasn't all that long ago since they had been brought out of Egypt, forty odd years. But yet, God knew that they would soon forget what a wonderful thing he had done. God is here depicted as a warrior going out to battle with his people. They were going out to fight and he was going to be in that fight with them. God fighting against sinful nations on behalf of his chosen people. You know, we live in the age of grace and we may find it difficult to comprehend God actually fighting on behalf of his people. 
God instructing his people to wipe out nations from before him. It does not happen now, but you know, it will happen again in the future. God will be a just and righteous judge of the nations and those who disobey him. Now, this week I had a, an email from this Jewish friend of mine and it was all about, she'd sent a couple of little snippets of a film and they were bloodthirsty speeches from militant Muslim clerics and they were demanding the wiping out of the nation of Israel and individual Jewish men and women. I was able to point out to her that someday this would all change. Now God doesn't wipe out nations like that. But it will change. And I, I told her that Psalm 2 and many other passages in scripture would then become a reality. Psalm 2, do you remember what it says? Why do the heathen rage and the people meditate on a vain thing? Imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers plot together against the, the Lord and against his anointed. We look around, we see, we see that happening. We see the, the, the rulers, the, the kings of the earth are setting themselves against God's chosen people, against the, the scriptures, against the teaching of, of the Bible. It's all happening. And they say, let us break their bands in two and cast away their cords from us. And then the psalmist goes on to say, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall mock at them. He'll hold them in derision. He shall speak in his anger and trouble them in his wrath. There is a time when God will speak to them in anger. He says, He shall break them with a rod of iron. He shall dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. That's situation will come but at the moment we live in the age of grace we are in the dispensation of grace you know how quickly Israel forgot about God's promises to them and his presence with them you know we have many examples of Israel going astray but look at Judges 6 look at Judges 6 and you'll see what actually happened to Israel they went into sin. Judges 6 and verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. They disobeyed. They strayed away. They looked at the, the people around them. And they disobeyed God. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel and because of the Midianites the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. They were living in fear and dread. God had said in Deuteronomy that he would go with them into battle. And here we have the children of Israel living in dens and caves. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till they came on to Gaza 
and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they became as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. They came up in their hundreds of thousands, like grass, like a, a, a plague of grasshoppers. And that was as a result of being fearful and forsaking their God and not believing the promises which he had made. He said, do not be afraid of them. When they come up with their horses and chariots and a people more than thou, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee. And here we have the example. They were living in dens and caves because they had neglected the God of their fathers. You know, we as children of God are told to live by faith and not by sight. But how we fail to. We look at our circumstances. We look at the world around us. At those who fight against God in so many ways and we lose heart. You know, if we do not stand up and fight we automatically give way to the enemy and we find like Israel we become spiritually impoverished. We are in a battle. The Israelites were, were reminded of the great victory and redemption God had wrought for them by freeing them from the power of Egypt. You know, we are, we are guaranteed the victory. 1 Corinthians 15.57 But thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw last week in, in, in 1 John 5 in verse 4 For whatsoever is born of God whosoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith. If we are living and trusting God by faith we will have a victory on the victory side no fear can daunt me no, no fear can haunt me no foe can daunt me on the victory side with Christ within the fight we'll win on the victory side we're guaranteed the victory the just shall live by faith our battle in this world is not earthly but heavenly. How have things changed for those who love the Lord in this age of grace? In the time we're talking about in Deuteronomy, God was going out and fighting with them, fighting the enemy, destroying them. How have things changed? You know, we still hear talk on the radio and television and things like that and they're talking about wars and you get some bishop or other saying that he 
in, in the, the eyes of the, the theologians, this is a just war. Well, I don't know. What did Jesus say about our enemies? Matthew 5.43 <coughs> Ye have heard that it hath been said, Jesus said, Thou shalt love thy neighbour and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And he put this into action in his own life. Luke 6 verse 27 <clears throat> But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And also him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them to, of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing again for your reward shall be great and ye shall be the children of the highest for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful amazing teaching teaching these people who were grounded in an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was a new age which was coming in. And Paul brings this further out in Romans 23, verse 16. I just want to that's right. <coughs> uh, Romans, Romans 12, I think it is actually. Romans 12, verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men, condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. 
Be not overcome of evil. Don't let evil get the better of you. But overcome evil with good. And Jesus speaking to Pilate. What did he say? John 18.36 My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. If ever there was a time when there should have been uh, a just war, would have been the time for his servants to fight against him being crucified. That I should, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. You know, we have been stressing over the past weeks that we are ambassadors for Christ. If there's an ambassador from a foreign country in the United Kingdom, he does not take arms on behalf of the United Kingdom. Any war between the United Kingdom and another foreign power on earth is not his concern. He's an ambassador for another kingdom. Any war on this earth between powers of the kingdom of this earth is not the concern of the Christian. Paul said, it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, said the Lord. We are not of this world. If the nations of this world wish to fight each other, Christians are not of this world. We are told to love our enemies. True in this world, earthly powers may find it necessary to go to war with each other. But I do not believe that that justifies going to war in the eyes of the Christian. You know, especially in the First World War, where there was a lot of very close combat, bayonet fighting and that type of thing, we're told it happened that Christians were in close combat fighting other Christians. How tragic and how totally against the teaching of Christ. Never mind killing non-Christians, but Christians fighting against Christians. We're not of this world. We're ambassadors for Christ in this world. I don't know. There you are. That's my thoughts on those uh, few verses. But we must move on. I want to look at the conditions now laid down for battle preparation. And we look at them here as they are in Deuteronomy. But I want to look at them to be applied to spiritual war in which we find ourselves. Remember what I said. We're, we're in a war. And if, if we don't fight in the spiritual battle then we will succumb and cede to the enemy. Verse 2 And it shall be when ye come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people. This is what I'm saying. In this world we're always in a battle situation. Spiritually speaking. We live in an enemy territory. This enemy is cunning and destructive so we must be on our guard at all times else we may be devoured because he's going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour he has great resources and numbers 
if we wish, wish to avoid war, then our only resource is to cede to the enemy. We must fight or we fall. That's the simple thing. We're in a fight. Don't forget, all conflict is, is approached, is tackled with priestly encouragement. That's wonderful. We have priestly encouragement. The, the priest went out and he gave them all a pep talk before they started. And we have priestly encouragement. Look at verse 3. It says, And shall say unto the people, Ye approach this battle, this day, unto battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint, fear not, do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And as it was such a wonderful thing there that the God was with those Jewish people as they went out to fight the men of Israel, it is equally true that when we go out to fight, God is with us through the power of his Holy Spirit. You know, I was looking at this and it says there, Neither be ye terrified. Be not afraid. We're constantly encouraged through the living word of God. And look at these be nots. Second Thessalonians 3.13 Be not weary in well doing. Or sometimes we say, what's the point of battling against all this false doctrine, all this teaching which is, the churches are going astray? Be not weary in well-doing. Be encouraged. Romans 12.2 This is a well-known. Be not conformed to this world. We can so easily fall into line with the thinking of this world. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Oh, we could work out and find what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God in our lives. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Romans 12, 21, we read it a minute ago. Be not overcome of evil. Don't let evil get you down. But overcome evil with good. Second Thessalonians 2, verse 2. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or being troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as the day of Christ is at hand. Things are getting near the time when the, the, the rapture will take place, when Jesus will come to take us. But he says, Be not shaken in your mind. We want to have firm, solid minds. Not to be trembling in our minds. Second Timothy 1 verse 8 Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Paul says I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then Hebrews 6 verse 12 That ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience 
than Herod the prophet, the promise. Be not slothful, oh, lazy, drifting along. Don't be slothful. And then Revelation 18.4 And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out from her, of her, my people, and that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. Be not partakers of the sins of this world. Come out from the world. Come out from amongst them. Be ye separate. Hebrews 13 verse 9 Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. We have seen these the, the strange doctrines in churches, in this emergent church and in other things. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. We want to have established hearts in sound doctrine. Acts 18 verse 9 Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. Oh, God give us the power and the grace to be not afraid, but to speak and hold not our peace. And for God, for us, God has provided us with a spiritual armor. And we know it so well in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The whole armor of God. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're in a spiritual battle. Take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about, both with truth, truth, the truth of God's word. What else? We have the breastplate of righteousness. When we trust Christ, the righteousness of God comes into our lives. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel feet, always ready with the gospel message. Above all, the shield of faith, that ye be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God we need our sword we used to say of course uh, draw your swords use your swords for the battle is the Lord's trust in his almighty arm and draw your swords victory victory Christ will give us victory if we trust his mighty arm we shall wave the victor's palm and then we have to pray praying always in the spirit Remember to put on the whole armor. It's disastrous to leave off some of it. We must stand firm in the faith. We must not consort with the enemy. We must fight or we will fall. It's as simple as that. But it's very difficult. 
You know, in 1 Samuel 13, turn to 1 Samuel 13, there's a very interesting uh, situation in 1 Samuel 13. King Saul, who had started out with such good ideals, succumbed to temptation and he failed miserably. The enemy, the Philistines, appeared to do to him much as they pleased. And God had promised his people that he would fight with them. Here we have another instance of what happened when they forgot to bring God into the battle. Here's what we read. Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share, his plowshare, or his coulter, and his axe, and his mattock. Had to go down to the Israel, the Philistines, to the enemy, to sharpen up their tools. Yet they had a file for the mattocks, and for the coulters, and for the forks, and for the axes, and to sharpen the goats. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Jonathan was there found. They had to go and try and fight the enemy without any swords, without any weapons. What a disastrous situation. The leaders each had a sword, but their people had none. And what a picture of today. Many of our church leaders have the sword of the word of God, but because of their slothfulness, their lack of knowledge, their lack of trust in that word, and their failure to protect, protect this precious piece of armor, the people have been robbed of the armor necessary to fight for truth. Because they haven't been told where the armor is. And they are, as a result, the people are at the whim and control of the enemy. God had said, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And look at the situation they were in. And that's the way it is in many churches today. God has promised to be with us, but the leaders of the churches have withheld the armor that they have. If only the people were given it to use. So may we get our armor on, all of us. Believe his word, trust him, and fight in his strength. 1 Corinthians 15:57 But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ therefore my beloved brethren be ye steadfast unmovable always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord 
We need to watch and pray. To fight and pray. We need to pray for spiritual discernment within the church. And for each one of us to have that discernment. To try the spirits and to prove all things whether they are from God. We pray that we will only look to the word of God as the foundation for our sound doctrine and prophecy. Rather than trusting in men. We pray that the, the Christian leaders will not be deceived. But will warn and protect the flocks which are entrusted to their care. And we pray for those false prophets. Posing as Christian leaders that they will be exposed. Removed. And their teachings rejected by the church. And that God will raise up men and women of true spiritual stature. To contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. May we put on the whole armour of God. And having put the armour on. Be prepared to stand and fight. In his name. Amen.